everybody. Welcome to the Sportlight Podcast. On this week's Sportlight Podcast, we talk to the head football coach of the Snow College Badgers, one of the best junior college football programs in the entire country. Zach Erickson is his name. He gave some advice to minority kids who were growing up in a not-so-diverse place like he did and how he handled some of the things that came his way. He talked about the importance of helping young people make the transition from high school to college and some things we could do in high school to help them be ready for that transition. And he also talked about using your position as an athlete to help and lift other people and so much more. It was an incredible discussion. We hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Sportlight Podcast for parents, coaches, and athletes. The Sportlight refers to the time in an athlete's life when they have increased ability to affect the culture around them and the increased opportunity to learn life's lessons through sports. This podcast aims to help parents and coaches capitalize on their athletes' precious time in the Sportlight. The Sportlight Podcast is brought to you by Especially for Athletes program. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Sportlight Podcast. I'm Dustin. I'm here with Shad Martin and Coach Zach Erickson, who's our guest today on this episode. Coach Erickson is currently the head coach at Snow College, a junior college down in Ephraim, Utah, one of the top football programs, has been for many years in the country. And Zach's been a long friend of especially for athletes. We're excited to have you on, Coach. Oh, hey, thanks, guys. Uh, Really excited to be here today. Uh, really excited to be able to visit with you guys about E4A and, and all the things that we'll talk about today. Uh, something that I really love is I've gotten to know your program and you guys. Uh, so I'm really excited to be able to, to talk to you guys today. It was probably, I don't know, Zach, five, six years or so ago that um, you you brought our program into the high school that you were the athletic director at at the time at Skyline High School, also coaching there. I can't remember. I think you and I knew each other before that through football. I know we'd coached at a lot of camps together and you've helped me at a lot uh, of my quarterback elite events, but I can't remember if it, I know for a fact it through, especially for athletes, I've really gotten to know you. Um, and uh, you've gotten to know Shad and, and your daughter is currently at snow college or sorry. Shad's daughter is currently at snow college, uh, performing and dancing down there and she does a lot of halftime performances and things when you're in the locker room yelling at your guys so it's for us it's 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 fun to have you on man because you've kind of seen especially for athletes grow and we've seen you grow from a high school coach to now the head football coach at one of the top junior colleges in the country and your wife who is currently the head coach at uh for the U- utah valley university golf team we've watched her grow as well and so this is this will be a fun conversation and i know there's a lot of things we want to dive into not just from a coaching standpoint your position as a head college coach and some advice and tips for parents and kids but there's some personal things that you have some experience with that not many of our guests have experiences with and i want to kind of start by diving right into that if that's okay um, yeah absolutely so uh, you know zach we we spoke about this a week or so ago in in depth for several hours it was a, a real interesting conversation for me with you um because i i as you if you remember we were driving together for four or five hours and i i asked you a question that i've never asked because I've one, I haven't had the opportunity. Two, I was sensitive on how to ask it, um, and that being that 
you're African American. I'm not. And I, I straight out asked you a question. You know, what was that like? And do, do you see prejudice? And do you, you know, growing up in Utah, you know, what are the things that we can, we can do better? And, and I kind of tiptoed around that topic a little bit with you. And, and then we dove right into it. And you had some really cool things to say. So tell us a little bit about your story. And then Zach, uh, Shad and I want to fire off a couple questions to you about race and prejudice and things that we all need to be better at. Yeah, absolutely. So I think my story starts all the way back at the beginning. You know, I I come from, you know, my mom grew up, well, she grew up in California and in Utah, went to high school there at Spanish Fork High School, and then went off to College of Eastern Utah uh, to play softball and volleyball. And uh, while she was there, got pregnant with me and uh, decided she was going to give me up for adoption. Um, and so went through that whole process. Here comes November 19th, the day I was born. The doctors take me away, take me out of the room immediately. And I guess uh, back in the early 80s at that point in Utah, the, the birth mothers had 48 hours to change their mind. And in about hour 46, uh, my mom said she just had this overwhelming feeling that no matter what was going to happen in the future and, and whatever came with, with keeping her son, she was willing to deal with. So she grabbed the nurse and said, go get my son. I don't think I can do this. And so off we came uh, back to Spanish Fork, 19-year-old white LDS girl bringing home uh, a black baby out of wedlock. And so um, I think you have to go all the way back to that point in time to really kind of understand my story and how it went from there. Beginning in that hour 46 a lot of things have gone my way <laughs> since my mom decided to keep me. Yeah. By, you know, the family that, that I was raised in, my grandparents, um, her parents that initially were really upset about what had happened. But the second I got to their home, I felt nothing but love. And, and then my mom being fortunate enough to find the man that I call my dad, she was able to meet and marry my dad, Dave Erickson. They got married when I was 10 months old and uh, I was adopted by him a few years later. And so I've always had a full family. I've always had a mom and a dad. And, um, you know, and when you kind of look back and, and think about that, and sometimes, sometimes I forget what courage and what faith that that must have taken for my dad um, to, you know, get married to a woman that already had a child, but not only a child, but a black child in the early eighties in Utah. Right. We all know that right. was probably, uh, you know, not yeah. what everybody would consider. Okay. At the time. Yeah. yeah. And so, so from there uh, again, I just got lucky and, and things have really gone my way. Blessed to have a great family. I've got four siblings that my parents had after me. And, and I've spent most of my life in Utah. I'm, I'm 38 right now. And I think of, I think I've spent 28, maybe 27 of those years living in Utah. Um, I, you know, I grew up in Utah. Uh, I went to Springville High School, spent a little time at Lone Peak High School, went to Brookside Elementary in Springville, Utah. And so 
Uh, I really, the bulk of my growing up took place here in Utah. And kind of per our conversation, Dustin, it, it was, you know, something, another kind of conversation kind of, I think, turned us into that. And um, it was two very different uh, portrayals, I guess, if you will. Um, you know, we had someone suggesting that our football staff didn't know what it was like to grow up being black in Utah. Yeah. Uh, and I shook my head like, excuse me? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure I do know. And and like I told you, for me, I thought it was great. I, I absolutely thought it was great. I thought it always was something that I was proud of and something that my family was proud of. And that doesn't mean that there weren't instances where I saw racism or instances where I felt that because of my the color of my skin, I was being treated maybe differently, unfairly at times. Um, but I think because of the way that I was raised in the home that I grew up in, I was very fortunate enough to not, not really let that affect, number one, my view of myself or or other people's view of me really affect who I was and, and what I wanted to do and what I wanted to accomplish. I knew that if, if I was a good person and I was doing the things that I knew my parents had raised me to do and the principles that they had instilled in me, I knew that it didn't really matter. And ultimately, things would work out in my favor. A couple little things that I, I, I remember very vividly growing up that, that had to do with my race. I'm 10 years older than my youngest sister. And when she was about seven, so I'm 17, this is probably my junior or senior year in high school. She came home one day and she asked us all, we're probably at the dinner table or in the living room. She said, mom, how come Zach is black? <laughs> and, and it was a, a really interesting moment. So I, I was like, Ooh, how's my mom going to answer this to my seven-year-old sister? And I think that was, she might've been the only one that I know of that really distinguished the difference. Like Zach is different. It, yeah, he's my brother, but there's something different about him than there is the four of us. And so uh, I, I very well remember that instance and whether her friends pointed it out to her, whether someone asked her, whether she just noticed. And then the other time was I'm a ninth grader. My little brother was an eighth grader. Uh, and we were at the Pony Baseball Fields there in Springville, uh, right behind the football field. And uh, my my brother was playing. They were just warming up for a baseball game and playing catch with one of his friends. And a couple of kids came by and started kind of messing with my brother. And as they were kind of, you know, talking back and forth, they said to him, well, you're the one that has the N word for a brother. And. I'll never forget my brother running over to me. I get really emotional when I think about this. Um, I remember my brother running over to me and telling me that um, for the first time, he had experienced that and wanted to know what he should do. He said, should I go beat him up? <laughs> and I said, no. I said, that's not what you want to do. I said, we'll just leave. We'll go home. And 
as we as we got to walk home, uh, we just I remember holding hands and uh, saying to him, "Hey, we don't worry about what other people think." And and I was I was more upset for him than I was for myself uh, because, like I said, I didn't really let those type of things bother me um, because, again, my parents had taught me that it didn't really matter. And uh, but to see the way that that really affected my brother in that moment, uh, I think that bothered me more than than what the kids actually said. And so, sorry, I didn't, I didn't even know that that was going to hit me like that. Um, but, uh, you know, out, outside of those couple of instances, things were always good until college, <laughs> right? And then now you get pulled over, you get questioned for some things on I-15 in Provo. You know, I, my, my dad did very well, so, you know, he made some deals with me. So I drove a nice car towards the end of high school. And I felt like I got pulled over quite a bit more often than uh, maybe some other people might have. N- nothing ever came of it. Uh, they always asked me, is this your car? I said, yes, this is my car. Um, and I'd show them the registration and, you know, match my driver's license and all of these things. But I never really felt that personally I had any negative lasting experiences uh, growing up here. I thought it always in some cases works to my advantage you know i i got to i, I got a lot of dates i think maybe because of it um <laughs> I, I don't know uh, you know it was it was always something that i i really took i think i took some responsibility in it too maybe allowing for myself to represent you know my race my family in a positive light and uh and so I tried to always do those things, man. That was a really long answer and and kind of emotional answer too. I didn't. I didn't. The, the reason you got the reason you got the dates was because of the car you were driving. Come on, that that might be true. That that might be true. They they did like that car as well. <laughs> you stop. You stop thinking it was because you were just a handsome black guy. It's because of the car you were driving. <laughs> you might be right. You might be right. No, you know, Zach, that, that brought up a question, and that is we do have opportunities to speak to a lot of athletes and some of them are um, from minority groups and you seem to handle it so well as you reflect back on that. If you were just, I know you've covered this a little bit, but maybe not every one of them has the family backing that you had. And what are some of the things that you think helped you deal with the, with growing up, a minority in Utah, when those little blips on the screen happened, what principles did you return to that helped you deal with that, that might help the minority athletes that we work with deal with what they'll have to face? Yeah. Um, I think initially I go back to, I go back to self-confidence and self-belief and then how I got to that. Um, it's interesting. I kind of similarly had a, a small conversation with my daughter just last night, similarly about self-confidence and how you get that and, and how you, we, we were talking about fear and, and all these things because she's a gymnast. And we were saying that if, if you're prepared, then you won't fear. And, and I think that kind of 
goes into kind of the same thing where a lot of my self-confidence came from the the things that I did leading up to whatever it was going to be, right? I And again, this probably came from my parents, but it doesn't have to. You know, I, I was never allowed to miss a practice or miss a workout or, you know, I, I worked really hard to maintain a 3.5 GPA, which I didn't always do, but that was my goal. That didn't come from anybody else. I always wanted to be a good teammate. Uh, I, I did not want... You know, I, I was fortunate enough that most of the time I was the best player on all the teams that I played on. And I knew that, but I wanted to make sure that I was a good teammate that allowed my other teammates to be able to enjoy the success that we all were going to have. Right. Because I would I couldn't have done what I was doing without the other guys on my team. And so, you know, I, I wanted to work hard. I wanted to make sure that I I didn't miss things, right? I didn't didn't miss practice, didn't miss games, didn't miss workouts. Um, and then I really wanted to be a good teammate. And, and I think because of all those things, that allowed me to have the self-confidence in myself to, to be able to kind of shut out all of those things, you know. I, I one, one other quick thing that, that I won't name the high school. My, my junior year in high school, in a basketball game, we were at an away game. And the opposing crowd started chanting Oreo every time I got the football or excuse me, the basketball. And it was really funny because this was another instance where this really bothered my teammates. But if you go back and, and I would love to find this video somewhere because I had one of the best games of my high school basketball career, because for me, I almost allowed that to fuel me to want to be better on, you know, out there on the court. And, and I guarantee that there's probably pictures or videos somewhere of me just with the biggest smirk on my face every time they would start chanting and every time I would hit a three or every time I'd go dunk the basketball. And yes, Dustin, I could dunk a basketball back then. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, those things, it really just fueled me to, to be better because I think of the self-confidence I had and, and the things that I did to be able to build up that self-confidence in those moments. That's great. That's awesome, man. You have a kid come in right now. He's a he's a freshman. You've recruited him. He gets in there and uh, he's he's got to handle the 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 workload now of being a away from home, being a college athlete, having to go to school, and more intense weight room, more intense practice. He's got to take care of his own laundry and his own food and everything. So he's, it's, he's, he's got to be a big boy now. Um, what do you see or, or do you have conversations with your players? How do you help them understand how to be uh, effective with their time? We have a, a principle and especially for athletes that, as you know, of win the hour, I guess this question kind of touches on win the hour and maybe a little bit of, of resiliency um, being away from home and having to kind of adjust and, and bounce back from some difficulties. Do you see that hard for kids and what do you do to help them? Yeah, I, I think that that is something that this generation of kids actually really have a hard time with. I would say 90% of the freshmen that we get really struggle in this facet, in this area. Um, you know, we still have, we still have those 
great kids that show up and and are going to make straight A's and they're going to be early to every workout and they, they really understand what it's going to take and they succeed in, in pretty much everything they do. But I think a lot of the kids that we get struggle. Uh, they really struggle with this concept of, you know, you guys would call it win the day. We, you know, you could throw in time management into that. You could throw in resiliency into that. You could throw in uh, priorities into that. Um, you know, they, they get down here and suddenly they think, oh, I can just play Call of Duty or 2K all day, every day, and no one's going to stop me. Um, and they'll do that until here they are a month, six weeks into the semester. They've got all Fs. We're not letting them practice. They're doing extra workouts because their grades aren't in. Now they got to be in study hall six hours a week. So what we've tried to do to combat that is, you know, at the beginning of every semester um, in our team meetings, we try to identify the guys that we think are high risk guys. We break them up into groups, color coded groups. And then we each group gets different things, right, with, with what we think they need. So like our red group, um, they will have a meeting with myself uh, as an entire group, uh, myself, our academic advisor and, and one of her assistants. And we try to outline for them, here's what your day should look like as a college athlete, as a high-level college athlete, right? Probably you're waking up at 6 o'clock in the morning uh, to be at your early morning lifts. From there, you should go straight to breakfast. You need to eat. You need to fuel your body. From there, you're going to be in class for the next four, three to four hours. Then you're back in the building um, for practice or for meetings um, at two o'clock or treatment in the training room. Make sure you get back for treatment before meetings. Um, then after that, you know, make sure you have dinner plans. Um, and then you're going to be in, depending on what group you're in, your two-hour study hall. And by that time, it's nine o'clock at night. And really, you should go try to get your eight hours of sleep to be able to do it all over again. And, and a lot of times uh, we tell them, there's going to be things that you're going to have to give up if you want to perform athletically, academically, and even socially, right? We're not telling you you can't have a social life, but you have to understand what's going to take priority in that. And as you make those decisions, you will see the benefits or the, the repercussions of your choices. Um, and so we really try to set them up for success initially. Ultimately, they have to make those choices, right? We can't hold their hands 24-7. We wish we could. Um, we just don't have, have those resources down here. But I think once the light comes on, and usually it takes these guys about a semester, the light will come on most of the time, and they'll understand, oh, hey, what coach or what Mrs. Shoppy was saying is exactly right. And if I do those things, then I can be successful. And guess what? By Friday afternoon, I can go out and hang out with my friends on Friday and Saturday because I've taken care of my business all week. Um, yeah. If not, you spend all day Saturday, all day Sunday trying to catch up, and, and that's not fun. Yeah. You know, there's something in there, Dustin and Zach, that while our young people are with us in high school, we have to be very careful that we're not holding their hand too much that we're not allowing them to develop the muscles necessary that when they get on their own, that they know how to do things. And sometimes parents, when we're too quick to bail out 
or to, okay, let's sit down and do all this homework together. Okay, let's do this. I'll, I'll call your teacher. I'll, would we do too much? And then all of a sudden they find themselves on their own in college with all of this freedom. There's definitely a balance there. We need to set up scaffolding and help them through high school. But I've seen it with some some young people I know that their parents were too involved in helping them give the appearance of success. So they have opportunities in college, but then that leads to failure in college initially or struggle at least because of the fact that they have never learned how to deal with the like that temptation to play call of duty all day because they've had someone there telling them no you can't do this no you can't do that and i think it's important for us to let our kids struggle sometimes you know to get a 3.3 gpa that they had to work things out and get a 3.3 gpa is better for a kid in my experience than getting a 3.9 GPA and everyone thinking they're a great student when their parents have done so much. And then all of a sudden they arrive in college and they don't have any of the skills that are necessary to manage that. And so I think the things you're talking about right now would be wise for parents to hear and to say, okay, let, let's start doing this when they're a sophomore, junior, senior in high school, instead of depending on a on a football coach to teach him all these things with the 130 kids that he has responsibility for. I only have three kids. You know, I could take responsibility for that. So. Yeah. Well, I, I, I throw something out of both of you then, cause I, I can hear a parent listening to this, having the thought, well, on the one hand, I'm told I'm supposed to be, cause I, and by the way, I don't know the answer to this. That's why I'm asking you. It's, on the one hand, I'm supposed to be involved and engaged and and doing things with my kids and and helping them and you know, I, I want to spend time with them. You're, I'm, I'm told I'm supposed to spend time with them. I need to put my phone down and my job away and be present. And my so if I go and I help my if I get involved in helping my son or daughter do something and I'm helping them with it. So where's the, my point is, where's the, like, where do you think that line is from being hands-on and involved and I'm helping my kid because I, I want to be a good dad or mom and I'm coddling and overprotecting and like you said, Chad, not allowing them to develop the, the muscles they need to, to be strong when I'm not around. So I'm curious to hear your guys, like Zach and, and, and Chad, your, what you do for a living is you help mentor a lot of parents uh, and with this exact question i'm sure you know what are your thoughts on that i think zach i'll take a shot at this because zach already said it that moment he had with his gymnast daughter yeah i think if parents will view their role as teachers and motivators instead of doing it for the kids and so for example, I mean, something as simple as laundry, you know, hey, I want to help you start getting ready to go to college. So let's learn to do your laundry. I've done it for you for a while, but I want to show you so you don't ruin every item of clothing that you have on your first time washing laundry. And so something I mean, I'm using that as a simple example, right? Let me show you how to do your laundry. You're going to do it for this next couple of years. So you know how to do it. The other thing is, like like Zach talked about, sitting down with 
with the academic advisor and saying, let's talk about a schedule. I want to teach you about how to plan your day so that you're more intentional, so that you happen to life instead of letting life happen to you, right? And so I think if we view our role more as teaching skills and helping them develop capacity rather than bailing out and doing for them, I think that's where I think in the role of teacher is where we could we could help them with that. Yeah, I, I, I like a lot what you said, uh, Shad, and, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. And, and it's funny because I think because of what Julie and I do for a living, we get to see both ends of the spectrum, right? We are with college athletes all day, every day. And then we go home to our eight, nine and 11 year old who aspire to be college athletes. And, and we, again, my da- same conversation last night with my daughter. She says, do you know how hard it is to have two parents who are both head college coaches? And she says, there's a lot of pressure with that. And as we were talking about that, and I do this kind of with my boys too, we want to do exactly what you said, Chad. We want to teach them how not to do it for them. We want to, as simple as you use laundry. For me, my eight-year-old has finally figured out how to tie his shoes, right? He wanted us to do that for him so badly. And, you know, my wife, bless her, I love her. She kept buying him slip-on shoes. And I'm like, he's got to learn to tie his shoes at some point. So let's buy him shoes that he has to tie. And, you know, you spend that time and you teach them how to do that. And then they do that. And, you know, it's it's with anything. You know, our, our kids, my boys golf, they play basketball, they play baseball, they play football. I want to show them how to do certain things, and then I'm going to get out of the way. It's the same thing with their schoolwork. They come home, and if I can help them, I want to, you know, I'll work through it with them. And then I want to get out of the way and I say, okay, now you do this. You're going to mess up, and that's okay. We'll come back and we'll fix it, and we'll try to keep practicing until you can get it. Um, And I think, Dustin, to your point, trying to figure out where that line is, I, I, I struggle a lot with the whole putting my phone down and being present when I'm with my kids. And my wife sent me something the other day that, that was this like a poem talking about um, a, a girl that's a gymnast. It was kind of funny because that's what we deal with who the dad was sitting at her practice and all the parents were sitting there on their phone and nobody was watching the girl's practice. And so he, he noticed and he goes, I'll put my phone away. And as he's watching his daughter practice, he said, he noticed that every couple of minutes or so his daughter would look over, just make eye contact with him to see if he was watching. So then he said, I started looking around at the other kids and they were all doing the same thing, but none of their kids, none of their parents were looking at them. And he said, that was the most powerful thing that had ever happened to him because it taught him. Maybe that's, that's what she needs. She just needs to know that I'm there and that I'm present and that we can make eye contact, that I'm not buried in my phone. And so maybe that is, you know, part of it, just being there and allowing them to fail because they're going to fail. Right. Um, and I think we learn a lot about ourselves through our failures. And, yeah. and my wife said, you don't fail until you stop trying. Right. You're just learning. It's, it's a learning experience. You're not 
you're not a failure if you, you know, our daughter right now is trying to throw her fly away off the uneven bars. You're not failing. You're learning. You're learning. You're learning. And then you'll get it. Um, yeah. And I think that's kind of where you can find that happy medium is, is don't do it for them. Uh, allow them to do it. Allow them to learn and grow um, until they get it. Well, and, and I want to say one thing to that, because that that story you just told, Zach, um, any of those people listening to this that follow us on Instagram, we actually shared that story. Um, the guy that talked and he shares that story of that, that the, his gymnast daughter on our Instagram page. But, you know, I know from coaching and I, I think I, I think I remember this vaguely as a player as well. However, my parents were always uh, they always were great when it came to this. But I've noticed it as a coach that kids will turn and look at their parents. And so, you know, one of maybe three things are going to happen. You're going to have you know, they miss a free throw or they they strike out and they go in the dugout. And, you know, once they kind of settle down, they peek over at dad. If they see dad on his phone, there's the one, you know, they wonder if he even saw what happened. That's the scenario you just discussed. And it's discussed in that video. Scenario two is they're looking at you or they're taught that you can see them and they're disgusted. They've got that negative, ashamed reaction. I can't believe my son just struck out or he just missed that free throw. And that's really selfish, I think, on the part of the dad, because I think he's more embarrassed in most cases for himself because he wanted to have that moment. I hope, I hope I'm wrong here. I hope that it's not, dang it, I can't have my moment right now where my son made the big shot or my son hit the home run and I was going to have my moment. And now he's disappointed that he didn't get it. I hope that the disappointment would be that I'm, I'm sad for my son. But if that's the case, the third one is how our reaction needs to be. And that is we need to keep the negative reaction in whatever it is, for whatever reason, whether we're disappointed for him or we're disappointed because we didn't get to have our moment with our son being the star and make sure that we know our child are going to turn and look at it. Our children are going to turn and look at us and have some sort of, you know, a positive, a smile, a you can do it, a thumbs up, a it's okay. You know, that body language, they can't hear us, but that body language that we're giving back of, Hey, it's all right. Shake it off. You're good. You know, something that tells them that they're okay. If they are that kind of child who's constantly looking over to see if mom or dad, first of all, that could be unhealthy. It, it, you know, we probably need to talk about why do you keep looking at me for approval? You know, worry about the game. Don't worry about what I think. I don't, I'm proud of you no matter what. Shad and I talk about this all the time. It's the process, not the reward that we should be interested in in parents. I'm proud that you got in the box and you, you took a shot at it. And what I'm not happy about is that you're thinking about it five minutes later. Forget about it and move on. Get back to work, right? But if we have children who are looking at us constantly for feedback, we have to be aware that if we're sitting on our phone, not paying attention, we show that we're apathetic to what they just did. If they turn around and look at us and we're negative and we we're giving them a, a, a dirty look or something like, what do you, how did you do that? Or I told you to not do that or whatever. We're tearing them down. You know, that, that's, that might, that's worse than the striking out was that dad is upset at me now and I'm going to get in the car and dad's going to tell me why. Why do we do all that practice? And why do I spend all this, you know, and you know better than that. We've worked on that. That does no good. The, the third one is the one I think we as parents have to be 
And Shad, going back to the word that you said earlier, we talk about a lot, intentional, intentional parenting is going into those games knowing at some point during this game, my son or daughter are going to turn and look at me for some sort of, you know, uh, uh, approval or just to, just to see that I'm there. What image am I going to portray and how's my body portraying that image? Because it's going to be mostly through our body language and that can help our child move on from that or sink them even deeper into the, oh man, I'm struggling. I suck. I'm going to hear it from mom and dad later. And then they can compound on their problems later. That's great, anyway. Justin. That's awesome. I love those three things. It makes me think I have had times where I, I know I've shown disappointment, even in my own case. I think most of the time it's, I want so badly for my kid to be successful. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I'm yeah. disappointed for them, but that word that we love intentional, if, if I'm thinking about it, knowing, Hey, when they look at me, it's just, you know, it's okay. Like, like give them a, give them a fist pump and encouraging, like you got this, like you don't have to be the, you know, yeah. what that does to a kid's heart, which I know I've done, um, you know, that, that look of disgust or, or disappointment it might not be interpreted by them the way you mean it. it it's yeah. disappointed for them, but it could be interpreted. They're disappointed in me. Yeah. And then that adds additional weight onto what they're already feeling, the pressure of the game they're already feeling. And so I love that, Dustin. I always want to be that third guy, and I could be more intentional about that. Zach, I, Zach, I know because of what you do for a living that you're going to, and you know, this as well. We've talked about this. There's, there are players on your team. I hope there's not many of them. And I know you've been out recruiting high school guys and looking at high school guys. There are lots of them, unfortunately, more than I think we've had because of social media who will, they would rather in some cases lose and get good highlight films of themselves to share on social media the next day than win and not have any of the social media uh, highlight pics and video because they've got to be able to go to social media and share, you know, the, the cool video that everyone's going to look and see and that you as a head coach at Snow might look and see. Does that worry you that you might have players on your team more interested about their film to try to impress the division one coach that they are ultimately wanting to go play for rather than their team. And, and is that a discussion or something that you have to do look for that in kids when you recruit them? Yeah, that's, that is definitely something that, that we deal with uh, so much so that it has become one of our hallmarks um, in our program. You know, we have four hallmarks. Our third hallmark is team. It's not about me. It's about us. And we talk about that a lot because we talk about the success that we all want to have comes from team success, right? It doesn't matter if, if our running back rushes for 250 yards and has three touchdowns. If we lose, it doesn't matter, right? Same thing, uh, you know, on the other side of the ball, if, if our defensive end has four sacks and, you know, three TFLs and all of these things, if we end up losing a game, what what did that really do? And I think, I think maybe our guys here at Snow, maybe because we talk about it every day, every day our kids 
recite our hallmarks and we talk about them. And like I said, that, that third hallmark is, is part of it. But I see a lot of, in the kids that we recruit, uh, I see a lot of this prior to them getting here to us. A lot of individualized highlight stuff, whether that's like seven on seven stuff or them in the gym or them doing this where, where it's, hey, look at me, look at me, which some of that's okay. And, and we, we need to see some of that stuff. But I, I feel that kids are getting so, they're getting a lot of their validation from their likes and their retweets and all those things that happen on social media. And, and so bringing that kind of back to what kind of maybe led us to this, if they're getting their validation from their parents or from their coaches, or then maybe that isn't as important to them. Maybe it still will be, but, but I know that, you know, for me, when I was playing, there was no social media and, and I can remember getting in the car with my parents after games. And most of the time it was good conversation, right? Whether I played good or whether I played bad. And, and I was fortunate enough to, you know, my dad never played sports, but my mom did. And so I kind of got both perspectives, right? Uh, you know, my mom was usually the one to be able to say, you know, hey, what can you do better, right? Like if you, you know, if I went 0 for 3 in a baseball game, she knew and understood that. And she said, hey, how can we fix this, right? Because you're better than that. And then let's fix it. And my dad was, you know, he was always, he was just always the encourager. He always, he thought I was the best no matter what, probably to his detriment, but uh, you know, having that encouragement and that positive re, you know, affirmation coming from your parents or your coaches, I think maybe, maybe that does help. And, and now the kids don't have to go get it on social media yeah. and all these things. Cause I mean, you know, like I even, even our guys, they'll on their highlight tapes, the stuff that they're posting via social media, they have friends coming to our games like just filming them and so it's not like a game clip it's like they paid someone to make this highlight tape of just them of them warming them, up them, them getting off the bus i've seen yes, it in high yes, school like walking yes. into the locker room yes and in warm-ups and all of these on the side and it's like what are we doing guys this is this is not healthy not healthy at all yeah that car ride home, Shad, I, I know a year or so ago, maybe it's in a podcast or maybe it was just in a presentation, but we've used the word sacred. And I think it's appropriate that that car ride home after games to me is a sacred moment. It is a, it is so important. The word said in that five or 10 or 30 minute ride home after a game or practice, but specifically a game, win or lose. The words and the conversation and the way we direct that conversation, those are sacred moments with our kids because we can absolutely ruin a kid in those moments, set them up for, you know, future negative thoughts um, or really help them. We have to, as parents, really be aware of that. Um, Shad, do you have anything else or should we rapid fire at Zach? I'm sorry if you had a couple other questions you wanted no. to run by him. Oh, this has been awesome. This has been awesome. And I I love the rapid fire part. And then at the end, Zach, I'd love just to have you tell us about Snow College and what it offers. And and so maybe let's do some rapid fire questions, Good. Dustin. And then 
And then we'll end with with just asking a few questions about Snow College's football program and other athletic programs. All right, Zach, what we do here is we take a minute or two and we just throw questions out at you. You get about 10, well, five seconds, five to 10 seconds to answer them. And they're going to be all, all right. over the map. All right. All right. Sounds so good. First thing that comes to mind, keep it uh, PG rated if you could, please. Um, you ready? Ready. <laughs> okay, here we go. All right. Um, if I if I open up your iPod right now or your playlist, what music am I listening to? Uh, you're going to get a lot of Texas country um, or you're going to get a lot of Lin-Manuel Miranda Broadway musicals in the Heights, Hamilton. Uh, those are the two things that you'd hear today. Okay. That's, that's, that caught me off guard. Good. Awesome. <laughs> your most favorite sporting moment was what? Player or coach? Do you have one that just stands out? Your Super Bowl moment as a player or coach was what? Uh, my my senior year of high school at Springville, uh, we were playing Clearfield High School. They were ranked number two. We went to triple overtime. Uh, we went for two, and I we ran power, and I dove over the line and scored the two-point conversion, and we won. That one has always been maybe because – sorry, this is going to be one of the seconds. That was the first weekend that I had met my biological dad, and he was at that game. And so I think maybe that plays into – why that one sticks out the way it does. That's cool. You and your wife playing at Augusta, the mat, the course the Masters played on. You guys are playing at Augusta. You, she gives you twelve strokes. Does she still beat you, or do you beat her? No, she still beats me. She <laughs> and, and I'm. You played with me. I'm pretty decent. She still beats me. She still beats. Okay. Me. I got one more, Shad, then you, and well, I got a couple more, but Shad, I'll let you fire one or two at them. Last time you went golfing, uh, how did the 18th putting green situation work out for you? Um, I two-putted for par uh, on the 18th hole at TPC in Scottsdale three days ago. Shoot, I was trying to lead you. You know where I was going with that. I know you did. I know. And, and I was glad I was able to answer that differently. <laughs> I thought I thought the last time you played was with me, and I made yeah. the 10-footer to, to get yeah. on 18. Dang it. All right. <laughs> Shoot. Thought I had you set up beautifully for that one. <laughs> that was my that was my warm-up round, Dustin, to go to Scottsdale yeah. with my buddies. <laughs> oh, oh yeah i gotta get i gotta get your feedback have you tell me how that went chad you fire a couple at him awesome what advice would you give to a high school kid who wants to take it to the next level and and be considered to to go on and, and play in college right now there's a sophomore that's pretty good what what advice if you could go back and talk to yourself as a sophomore would you give to a young person to take it to that next level uh, do more. Um, everyone is at workouts. Everyone is at practice. Do more. What are you going to do to separate yourself from everybody else? You're going to get done with that workout and think, man, I just, I did this, this, but guess what? So did everybody else. What are you going to do that then they won't do? Awesome. Looking back at your time in high school, I know Dustin and I have done this a lot. We wish we could go back and take our 14-year-old selves by the shoulders and say, hey, you don't understand the position you hold as an athlete and how it can help you do better for others. What would you say to that high school kid 
that would help them realize the impact they could have? I, I would tell 14, 15 year old Zach to to really do what I've heard you guys tell athletes to do. And, and really that's, you know, getting your eyes up and, and doing the work and seeing where I could help. Don't be so worried about me and my friend group. We're, we're all going to be fine. But as you walk the halls, who needs who needs to be lifted up? Uh, who needs to to have that friendly face smile and say hello? Um, you know, who needs to be included or invited? Uh, I think that's definitely something because I, I still have people say hi to me that I have no idea who they are that I went to high school with. And if 20 years ago, I would have had my eyes up and, and spoke to them in the hallways or at lunch. Uh, maybe it could have made things better for them um, if they were having a bad day. Uh, that's definitely what I, I would definitely tell myself or kids that are, you know, starting high school. Be aware and, and do, even though it may be uncomfortable at first, you'll get used to it and probably end up liking it uh, if you'll do those things. Yeah. You never know who you're helping. Zach, tell us a little bit before we wrap this up. Uh, tell parents listening to this what what they should know about Snow College, and if they have a son or daughter thinking of going there, why it would be a a, a good decision to do so. Yeah, um, so I I think Snow is a great place. I think it it provides a great opportunity for kids, uh, not just athletically but academically, um, to to get to where they want to go. Um, Obviously, you look across the board, and I think our athletic department in, in general is one of the top junior college athletic departments in the country. Um, mm -hmm. our, our teams are, are competing in national tournaments year in and year out. Uh, our teams are usually ranked in the top 10, if not the top five uh, in the country. Um, specifically speaking about football, you know, in my three years as the head coach, we've never finished worse than fourth um, in the country. And, uh, you know, you're going to come down here. It's it's small town, so uh, there's not a lot of trouble to get into. I mean, you can find trouble if you're looking, but it's not it's probably not going to find you down here. I, I love being able to, to talk to parents and say, hey, listen, you know, your kid's going to take that math 1050 class, that that college algebra class at Snow College. And there's going to be 20 kids in the class, not 200. Um, and it gives them an opportunity to be a lot more successful. They're going to get to know everyone around campus and get the help and support that they need should they need it. Um, and if you don't need it, you'll be left alone, right? You'll be, hey, we got guys that I've never asked to step foot in a study hall because they're 4.0 guys. They know how to handle their business um, and they're very successful. And, and I think speaking to our football program, especially, you're going to come here and this is going to be a place that you're going to feel valued. Um, you're going to feel loved as a person, not just as a football player. We want to develop the whole person. Um, we want you to leave Snow College uh, not only as a better football player, but as a better man, uh, to be equipped to be a better husband, a better father, a better just member of society in general um, than you were when you got here. Um, and, and we as coaches will, will love on you hard, uh, but we'll expect you to do hard things as well. Um, and I think when we establish that relationship and that that love for one another, that then we can start demanding some of those things that maybe push you out of your comfort zone. And, and that allows for our players to maybe feel that, that it's coming from the right place, right? We're not just 
wanting you to go out there on Saturday nights and, and be the best football player. We want you to maintain high GPAs. We want you to have a good social life, a good spiritual life, a good all of these things, whatever that may be. Uh, we want to help you develop that and grow up and, and be a man that you can be proud of and that your family can be proud of. Um, and, and in the process, we're going to win a lot of football games doing that. And so uh, I love it down here. Uh, Ephraim has been great to me and to my family and our coaches. And it's just it's just a great place to be. And Dustin, let me add, I have a daughter at Snow College right now who's a Badgerette on the dance team, and she loves it. She loves everything you said about Snow College, and the small town makes it so everyone comes and participates in all these sporting events. It's like the only thing to do in town, which just makes it so fun, so fun to be a part of. But one thing she often tells me is how nice and kind the football coaches are to those dancers. And so, so Zach, it's hard for you to say, well, here's one thing, you know, that I want everyone to know about me. I am such an awesome gentleman, you know, <laughs> I know you wouldn't say that, but I want to say that for you, you and your staff are incredible, not only to your players, but, but to the whole community. And, and my daughter has been a beneficiary of that. So I thank you for, for the man you are there and have seen the great things you're doing and just, appreciate it so much you guys are awesome oh thank you thank you very much well zach thank you for coming on with us today it was a great interview uh, nothing but respect for you and what you're doing brother and keep it up and we're glad to have you and lucky to have you in our community and at one of our one of our schools here so thank you everybody for listening to this episode of the support light podcast please follow us on social media Share our podcast and, and the other things we put on social media with other people, if you wouldn't mind. It helps us uh, share the message, help us get in in front of other schools and, and teams with our message in person. We have our book available on our website, the Sportlight book, as well as other merchandise. And we'd love to get in front of you, your business, or your child's team or school. Keep your eyes up. Do the work. This has been the Sportlight podcast from Especially for Athletes, sponsored by Coca-Cola. You can learn more about Especially for Athletes by visiting the website at especiallyforathletes.org. You can also learn more about the book, The Sportlight, by Shad Martin and Dustin Smith at especiallyforathletes.org book.